Hello, this is Drink the Music. A podcast where each week we listen to an album, make a cocktail, and have a chat about it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the music. Well, hello and welcome to Volume 7 of Drink the Music. I am Brian here, as always, with Michaela. And Michaela, we... Uh, put up to a vote this week on our Patreon. It was a couple of debut albums uh, from a couple of bands. Uh, these bands are real big around the time that you're in college. You're definitely going to know these. You're going to love these. And the winner this week was the 2004 debut from The Killers, Hot Fuss. <laughs> it certainly was. Um, and I got I to gotta say, I feel like this is going to be such a great conversation because we, I, I feel like musically, there's a couple of awakenings that people have in their lives, right? There's, there's when they're in high school and they're able to start like listening to their own music, not just what their parents are shoving down at their, their mm. throats, right? And listening in the yes. car, um, mm -hmm. at least for us children of the nineties, like a, we, we finally got a Walkman, right? Like the, the, the <laughs> right. mid nineties, I feel like. And so then there's the second awakening, which is when you're, you're in school, you're finishing school, you're starting your first like jobs. You got a couple bucks. What are you doing with your life? Um, and that is this whole album, like resurgence for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, kind of that, uh, that late college, uh, kind of discovery of music period. Um, and oftentimes that is the music that you will cling on to and decide is the best music, uh, that ever existed. Uh, you know, kind of those, those, uh, songs that came out between ages like 17 to 24, nothing can top those songs for sure. And that is where Hot Fuss, uh, falls in line, uh, for you and me, Michaela. Uh, this came out, it, uh, took the world by storm. Who are the killers? Uh, they came out of nowhere. Uh, they had a very fast, uh, career trajectory. Uh, which I'm going to go over right now here. So the Killers hail from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. I've got Brandon Flowers. He is the lead singer. Dave Kooning is the guitarist, and they form uh, their band in 2001. Uh, bassist Mark Stormer and drummer Ronnie Venucci Jr. joined the band the following year in 2002. Uh, so Brandon and Dave, uh, they go and they just start performing at open mic nights. Uh, wouldn't that be wild if you're like, oh, I remember the, those were the two characters that showed up at open mic night, started singing some song. Uh, that's pretty wild so they started doing that in like 2001 and then uh when the band got kind of fully formed there in 2002 started performing at a bunch of like bars around las or yeah around las vegas uh uh Warner Brothers artist rep found them, uh, said, I'll be your manager. I'll help you get discovered. Uh, he sent out their demo to a bunch of places. Uh, everyone passed uh, here in the United States, but Lizard King Records in London signed them, uh, heard that demo and said, uh, that sounds good. Uh, do that. So the Killers got real big in England uh, before they got big uh, in America, although it was still pretty, pretty quick uh, turnaround. So they make kind of kind of this demo. They start touring and stuff in the UK and Europe, and then they sign with Island Def Jam Records here in the United States uh, just shortly thereafter but um kind of by the by the time they got to the u.s they already had kind of a big uh european following um so it was just yeah it was literally just you know kind of kind of passing the torch here to the united states when when they came out so um uh, michaela we're going to get into some of the the concert stuff but do you remember just like like killers it was out of nowhere like who are these guys i do remember the killers um i have very visceral memories of both of their singles that came out off of this album somebody mm. told me and mr brightside um i remember i uh, was like i said i was right out of school i'd had a little had a little money in my pocket and i joined a pool league because i don't know why i thought it gave me something to do it was a way to meet boys i don't know um and i remember 
this song or that both of those songs being played like nonstop every Tuesday. But I remember very viscerally Mr. Brightside playing while I was uh, winning my very first tournament. And uh, yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Everybody thought I sucked because I was a girl and I didn't suck. And uh, it was very surprising uh, that to me, even that I won, but it was amazing. And this song was playing. So yeah, uh, I didn't know they were from Vegas. I actually totally thought up until very recently that they were an English band because of their Mm. kind of English influences. It feels very much like modern English. They've got a lot of uh, people say that they sound a lot like Duran Duran. um, And I totally get that. But uh, I thought listening to it now for the sake of this podcast was going to be a really interesting experience because Again, we're, you know, we're going to listen to them in order as you listen to an album. And I hadn't done that really in a long time. Uh, But yes, very visceral for me. Very, you know, it kind of brings back all the thoughts and feelings of when I was when I was young. (laughs) Not all of it's great, but but it's definitely worth singing about. There you go. Absolutely. Let's, uh, yeah, we're going to have to get into this, uh, album for sure. Uh, before we do that, we're going to need to mix up a cocktail. So, uh, Michaela, you go ahead and rack them up, I guess. Is that something you say on your yes. full league? I don't know for sure. That is for sure. But we're going to, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to grab some gin and we'll be right back to whip up this week's cocktail. To celebrate the killer's first album, we're taking a trip to Las Vegas and drinking a slightly sweet version of the cocktail classic, Uh, just like you might do on a late night, sitting in the corner of a club, thinking about life, love, the future, trying to come up with a way to like pick up somebody in the club. Um, But another thing I really wanted to to say uh, about this cocktail is, you know, you look at the Las Vegas sign that's like all in neon, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It looks like that. This drink reminds me, it's like this cartoony version of an adult beverage. <laughs> this uh, this cocktail, it does. It looks like that. It looks like the cover uh, image from Hot Fuss there. It's uh, very blue uh, from some blue curacao we're getting. It has this bright red, uh, kind of sickly sweet uh, cherry at the bottom of it. Uh, but this cocktail is pretty good. It's pretty good. We've used a lot of blue curacao uh, lately, but that's okay because it pairs really nicely here. It's not too much, I don't think. Uh, let's put this together. It's a martini, so into a shaker tin uh go ahead and throw some ice and then add two ounces of gin a half ounce of blue curacao uh better quality uh the better you're going to be here uh for sure um and then a uh just a little bit uh a bar spoonful or so of some dry vermouth uh put that in give that a stir Uh, don't shake that you want it to be crystal clear uh so stir that up you could use vodka in place of the gin on a side note if you really wanted to um and then what you're going to do is you're going to strain that into a chilled martini glass but before you start pouring that in you want to get the brightest red maraschino cherry that you can find in the whole world uh put it in the bottom and then strain that drink over it and it's got this it makes this weird i don't know like like sunrise sunset kind of effect because it has this bright red uh kind of globe at the bottom of this thing and then the rest of it is this crystal clear blue uh it's real pretty it's real delicious because you get just a hint of that orange but uh that is the blue sapphire martini michaela what did you think about this one i really liked it um i thought it was very like i said a very cartoony uh but at the same time i think it 
pairs really well with the album because there are a lot of layers I feel to this album. <laughs> There's a deep, rich heart at the bottom. Um, and that is the Maraschino cherry. Um, and when you bite into that cherry at the end of your drink, which is when you should enjoy it, you should let it kind of soak up some of the alcohol. It's, um, probably like it's the cherry on the drink. It's mm. really lovely. It's got a beautiful finish to it. Um, I really like this because it's with gin versus vodka. Um, you can do it with vodka for sure. But I think that if you did something like um, a sapphire gin, the Bombay sapphire gin, it's going to add um, uh, just a, another layer of flavor. Um, I wouldn't pick something super, super, super floral um, or anything that's like juniper, like super juniper forward. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really like this too. And I thought it really paid homage to Vegas, which is so funny because we talk about this, but I didn't know they were from Vegas uh, until really researching where they were from. I thought they were from Europe. So, mm. uh, okay. uh, but it reminds me of like this blue light special. <laughs> and I feel like some, <laughs> okay. in some of the songs, you have this very kind of neon-esque feel to it. Yeah, no, see, it definitely reminds me of the killers here because, uh, you know, I've always uh, kind of associated them with Las Vegas. And when I listen to Hot Fuss, I really get kind of in this mindset of um, I imagine like hearing this and maybe it's partly because of my own experience uh, from the time this came out, you know, kind of late college years. But but to me, this album, it almost sounds like the interior of this dark smoke filled uh, nightclub, kind of this dive bar sort of thing is the absolute vibe I get from this album. And this cocktail is perfect for that, like I said, because it's kind of a classic, but it's it's definitely something you might get at some sort of like dive bar because you could totally get by with using some well gin and jazzing it up with a little blue curacao. So I totally love it. I love uh, this cocktail for that for that uh, essence there. And maybe you wrote out your night. Maybe you listened to Hot Fuss. Maybe you're in the nightclub all night. You come out into the desert. The sun is absolutely blaring. You're like, what have I been doing uh, with with my night, uh, what happened, uh, what's been going on, and you need something to get you straight. Uh, so here's what we're going to do, Michaela. We're going to make a second martini here. This is a mocktail martini. That sounds delicious to me. It is called the Red Apple Sunrise. It's come coming from the Make Shake Cocktail book. Um, this one's pretty simple. Uh, it's one and three quarters of an ounce of apple juice. Uh, nice, just clear, uh, crisp apple juice. Not like a like an unfiltered thing. Just a, a nice like Mott's apple juice. Uh, one point. Uh, one and three quarters ounces of that, one and three quarters ounces of fresh squeezed grapefruit juice, um, and then a dash of grenadine. Same thing, put it into your cocktail shaker, uh, shake this one up, and then strain it into a martini glass. The grenadine is going to just blush it up a little bit. It looks like the sunrise uh, on the Vegas desert. Uh, it's it's glorious, and it's got some vitamins. You're going to need those after spending all night um, in this club or this bar uh, listening to Hot Fuss for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorites because it's got uh, the sweetness of the apple juice because apple juice can be really sweet, um, even the unsweetened. And mm -hmm. the, but the grapefruit kind of sets off a really nice balance to that and gives it a really beautiful color to it. Um, yeah, this is a this is really fun. Yeah, for sure. The apple, the apple's nice and sweet. The grapefruit is tart and a little astringent. And uh, this is perfect. It's an excellent brunch cocktail, um, especially if you're going the mocktail route. Uh, you could probably jazz this up with some, you know, vodka or gin if you wanted to, too. But um, I like the mocktail version uh, here to help with that hangover you got going through hot fuss. So That's let's great. do this. Let's do this, Michaela. We're going to we're going to start. Uh, with with the full blown the uh, what's it called the blue sapphire martini we're going to start there we're going to start the album and we'll be right back to chat about it so brian 
I feel yes. like uh, I've said this a couple <laughs> times already on this recording, but yes. I didn't know <laughs> that the killers were from Las Vegas. And <laughs> I put together this new way of listening to music uh, for the sake of albums. If that I thought would be really helpful um, because so much of my life has been listening to singles off of, mm. you know, inst Apple music or Spotify or something like that. Right. Um, so what I decided to do was get into a quiet place, uh, put on this album and just kind of do a stream of consciousness with some notes about mm, what I was okay. feeling and what I was thinking and, and really like, completely immerse myself in the album in a, in a different way. Um, and then after doing that, I was going to do some research about who the killers were more, more than what I already knew, which wasn't much to be honest. And then I realized, and through, throughout all of this, okay, especially in this first song that we're going to talk about, I'm like, we're in a dark city. There's bright lights, but it's a gritty, seedy town. I, I totally get that feeling. And I thought it was LA or or maybe some of like the seedy areas of like London or something like that. Okay. I had no okay. idea that it was against the backdrop of Las Vegas. And now that I do know that it's totally makes sense. Um, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It does. It does make sense because yeah, I, you know, Las Vegas is this, is this uh, bright, uh, you know sapphire shining star in the desert um it's and it's full of like every vice you could have and that is exactly what i think of when i think of this album um is kind of um not really like like dwelling it into vice but it just it just feels like something that's very kind of like vice driven in that way um and it's it's partially a lot of the sound you mentioned it has kind of this this english kind of like this this brit pop sound but it's also like this kind of like like new age like synthesizer like alternative rock kind of thing going on and it's absolutely great and it carries through that sentiment through most of the album so let's get into this one uh the first track here jenny was a friend of mine uh start the song you get like this radio tune uh tuning kind of thing there's a helicopter um and apparently this is part of a murder trilogy michaela murder trilogy right off the bat uh take that hot fuss uh so apparently uh Brandon Flowers uh, wrote kind of these three songs. So uh, the story starts with Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf, which maybe we'll uh, listen to and talk about over on our uh, Patreon because it's not actually on this album. It's from a B-Sides album that came out later. Uh, Midnight Show um, is the story of the actual event itself. And the interrogation is here. And Jenny was a friend of mine. Jenny is a friend of mine is a story of this man being interrogated uh, for the murder of his girlfriend, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's one of my favorite tracks on the album. It has a super saturated synthesizer. There's this bass hook that keeps going uh, throughout it. It sounds incredible. Um, this song it is almost like this sweet and sticky sounding like Miami Vice uh, kind of thing. Uh, it's so vibey. I love it a lot. Um, Brandon Flowers said that the Morrissey song Sister, I'm a Poet uh, kind of influenced him to write songs about murder uh, here. Um, and you get this trilogy. Like I said, we're going to talk about Midnight Show later in this album. Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf is the other part. It's kind of the first stage of this, but you'll have to go elsewhere to hear that one. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you say that because I had no idea that that was a thing. And yet in my notes that I wrote in my dark room when I was taking this in, I actually say that, that I thought the Midnight Show and this were like a like two sides of a coin. So good on me for that. I feel like a rock star. That's awesome. A, um, a, peek, a peek behind the curtain here. Michaela is a true crime aficionado. So that makes oh, sense. 
I, I am. So I uh, was listening to the, or reading the lyrics as I was listening to this, really trying to get into the, get into this uh, song and uh, talk about something intelligent other than, yeah, it's real good. Cause I feel like I'm saying that a lot about this band. Um, this really hit me uh, very much like Duran Duran. Uh, this had, a, to me, had a lot of like poppy 80s like this was an 80s bad romance song for sure and i was here for it i love the chorus um that come on come on chorus where you know you you feel really intense about what is happening but you don't know but you know he killed her <laughs> you do know <laughs> that something horrible happened to that girl and it's all his fault and he but at the same time i feel like there's a sense of longing the way his voice kind of cracks at the end where mm -hmm, when he mm -hmm, says mm -hmm. she was a friend of his and um so it's it's something that he definitely regrets uh i love that there's a real story behind this tr there's a trilogy of songs that they all kind of fit together because i thought that this was definitely like a like a, a bad, uh, like a bad romance ballad. Uh, mm. And I really wanted to know more at the end. So that's cool. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So the first part of this, uh, there ain't no motive for this crime. Jenny was a friend of mine. Um, and maybe Jenny's story is coming here from track number two. It's the one that you know, the one that you love, the one that you probably sang at karaoke, or you've definitely had a party or two or a wedding where you've heard this because this song is as big or bigger now than it was when it came out. Mr. Brightside, uh, track two. Uh, this was uh, uh, on that first set of demos they recorded, and apparently uh, they got rid of the rest of the demos, only kept Mr. Brightside and re-recorded everything else uh, for the album. So that's pretty neat. Um, I really like, uh, you know, kind of the the lyrics here. Um, it, you know, swimming through sick lullabies, choking on your alibis. This is a song about infidelity um, and insecurity. Um, the second verse of the song is the exact same as the first verse, uh, which Brandon Flowers said in an interview was because he was procrastinating uh, to write the second verse. So uh, just keep it the same. But I, what I really like about that, um, besides I'm I'm a big fan of being lazy myself, so I totally get it, Brandon Flowers. Um, but I think that having it be the exact same, uh, kind of after after that chorus, it comes back in and it's the exact same, right? So, um, choking on your alibis and then it comes back in, but it gives it like this weird sense of like paranoia also in the song. Uh, and it, it, it's really neat. It's this really kind of cool tale. Apparently he wrote it uh, uh, having some some feelings about an ex-girlfriend who had cheated on him, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Mr. Brett said. Oh, that makes me sad. So I think you're absolutely right in the fact that uh, when you hear the lyrics all over again, uh, it kind of it changes it for me because the very first time you hear this, I, I feel so sorry for him. And I think that he is just liking a girl that is falling in love with somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second time when they go through it again and it just kind of I don't think it speeds up, but I feel like the lyrics just get more intense. He's definitely angrier when he's singing it the second time around. And it's like, oh, oh, this is this is a girl he's actually been with. And so he's seeing her do these things and the choking on the alibis really fits a lot better. Um, and then at the end when he's like, I never, like, I don't know what he never did, but I mm -hmm. feel really bad for him because <laughs> you, yeah. right? Because he's just, uh, and 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 maybe this is all in the mind of him being interrogated. This this <laughs> yeah. is a great idea that maybe this is all one stream of consciousness, right? Because he's saying maybe he never meant to hurt her. Maybe he never uh, he never meant to catch her. Maybe he never meant to uh, even confront her about this. But ooh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. I, I, really, I really like kind of, kind of that more paranoid, um, you know, kind of, kind of look at it the way, you know, that second chorus comes in because it doesn't really, um, like the song never like specifically verifies that that's what happens. So maybe that's just playing through uh, your mm-hmm. head. You're just imagining the worse uh, right in someone. Um, and, and that's great. And of course, Mr. Brightside is catchy as all heck out, which is why it's uh, been kind of like this number one single for 20 years. You were listening to it in your uh, pool league back when this album came out, we were listening to it in our bowling league last year. So there you go. Mr. Brightside track two. Uh, another one of my absolute favorites here is track number three, smile like you mean it. This is uh, a song about a, journey into adulthood i really like um flowers using like this lower register so it has kind of this like melancholy uh feeling to it which is really surreal because the like the tempo of the song uh is really kind of upbeat so it's kind of this weird um amalgamation of uh of sounds here um i really like uh, kind of uh the lyrics here someone will drive her around the same streets that i did um and i like to imagine that uh that someone uh, who is driving her around is uh, the same kind of couple uh, that is in Mr. Brightside. Um, and I really like here in Smile Like You Mean It because the she could be anyone in this instance, right? Someone will drive her around down the same streets that I did, right? It could be a former lover. It could be a friend. It could be a parent, a sibling, a child. It could mm. be anyone. That she could be anyone to anyone, uh, which is why I think this song uh, kind of hits so hard. Um, but Smile Like You Mean It, it's real good. It is. It's it's one of my favorites on this album. Um, it's interesting that you think that that that, that top line of that uh, is your favorite. And my I think one of my favorites is um, someone is playing a game in the house that I grew up in, mm-hmm. uh, which is right mm-hmm. after that. Right. Um, or is it right before that? Yeah, it's right before that. So someone's playing a game in the house that I grew up in and someone is driving her around the scene, the same streets that I did. When I wrote this down, uh, I wrote, I'm driving in the dark. There are city lights in the distance. Reminds me of, of LA. I know now that that's now that that is Vegas. Um, you can that, make that drive. I, I, I can make that drive. I could do that. I think this song, it, it must have been, it must be so weird growing up in a place that was basically created for people to spend four days going absolutely nuts, getting completely wasted, doing all the things that they never, you never want to talk about because what's in Vegas stays in Vegas. And mm-hmm. if you're, you know, becoming a teenager, becoming an adult, uh, and you you get to that part of town that everybody goes to, that everybody thinks of when they think of that area, what that must be like, and how amazing it is when you think of it being a giant show, but really being very smoke and mirror-esque, right? Where there's this beautiful, shiny spot uh, of, of what you remember about growing up. And, and, but then underneath you have to smile like you mean it because it's all a show. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that this was, this, this song knocked my socks off when I heard it. Cause I was like, there's so much in here that I thought about that it made me think about. Um, and I loved that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's surprisingly deep from, uh, a band who's just putting out kind of their their first album and a group that's really 
you know, fairly young, you know, they were only together for just a couple of years before, before that it wasn't like a band who was, you know, tried and true spent 10 years together before they finally uh, struck it big, all this stuff happened pretty quick. And uh, the lyrics here, uh, you know, lead a lot. Uh, we get into our next song, Somebody Told Me, which is the first killer song I ever remember uh, hearing. Uh, it was kind of the, the first single I remember hearing. Um, I I really like the song It is very fitting of like this uh, late night uh, dance club vibe, which I mentioned at the top. That's exactly what this sounds like to me. Uh, the song is kind of like this. Um, I always imagine it's like a kind of like a like a like a throwback to like a David Bowie song because it's kind of like it's very gleefully like ambiguous about it, but has this introspective quality to it. Uh, there's this like wall of synthesizers that just come over and I just uh, picture this song just washing over uh, the entire uh, like crowd of people listening to this album. Uh, somebody told me it's uh, it's a great one. It was, uh, you know, one of the first big singles and that was really kind of what uh, made the mark here uh, for the killers. So it was actually released as a single here um, in the United States and it did real bad. So they pulled it. Um, and then put it back out, um, I think, um, after maybe Mr. Brightside came out and they got a little bit more notoriety and then it uh, hit big as well. So uh, track four, Michaela, what do you think about this one? Oh, I really like it. Um, I love the synthesizers in it at the beginning. It's very, like it's clubbish, <laughs> but it's mm -hmm, very sure. hard rock to me as well. Uh, um, and I remember people em wanted to emulate this sound. I mean, this was really, uh, I do remember in my early 20s, this was the band everyone wanted to sound like. People were like, let's start a band or let's let's do, um, you know, let's do the top 40 and, and we'll go play weddings and stuff, right? Getting the sound of this song was really hard because he has such a, uh, such an amazing kind of vocal tenant, especially here. So people were using like magnaphones into the microphone and deafening everybody around them, trying to get the sound. Um, I really like this. I, I also think it speaks to the paranoia and the anxiousness and the heaviness and all of that when you're trying to meet people. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that that's what they said that the song was kind of about, which is, you know, trying to go chat up somebody in a club or in a bar or in a space and being like, I don't know how to talk to you. So do I say somebody, I know you, or you look familiar or, uh, how do I, how do I do that? Um, but it's so heavy with the beat and like, so fast paced, you don't really know what it's about at all. You, but it sounds so cool. You honestly also don't care too much, right? Like it's yeah. just a fun, it's really a fun ride. Yeah, it's super up tempo. It's almost like feverish in the pace of the song, uh, which is which is really great and kind of fits into that aesthetic that we've got going on here through uh, the first four tracks before we're going to uh, kind of slow it way down um, and get into track number five here. All these things that I've done. Um, it's very anthematic. It's kind of a song about religious reckoning. Uh, Brandon Flowers, who's a practicing Mormon, uh, is kind of a tale about him struggling with uh, kind of maybe his uh, his life decisions, um, probably the place where you live. I would imagine that Las Vegas is is a tough place to to be uh, if you're having some sort of uh, crisis of faith sort of thing going on. Um, all these things that I've done, I've always felt that the song is uh, very hopeful uh, feeling. I really like kind of at the end, he uh, speaks kind of through these lines um, an echo of the chorus here. Uh, Time, truth, and hearts. That's always uh, really struck me. And of course, you get a choir here, Michaela. Uh, the Sweet Inspiration's coming in to do some choral bit. It sounds amazing, very epic. Um, it starts 
the song with like this little piano plink and then it's uh, kind of all guitars and bass. This one's uh, not synthesizing at all. It takes a very tonal shift from the first four uh, songs. Um, so to me, I always think of all these things that I've done as like this as kind of like this palate cleanser uh, sort of a song uh, here from the first four songs. And then you get back into and kind of more of this um you know, over, over, over synthesized nightclub kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's his, it's a cry for help. I felt like, um, and I had been kind of thinking about this in terms of his, uh, like a romantic relationship where he's like, you got to help me out. I want to get better. It was, a, you know, I want to improve where he talks about, and that's where there's no, and when there's no one else, where else, and when there's nowhere else to run, it is there room for one more son? These changes ain't changing me, the cold-hearted boy I used to be. And it's like, what happens when you're in a relationship with someone and they're just kind of tired of putting up with your shenanigans? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you want to, to treat them like your parent that takes care of you, like this idea of a mother. Um, and there are religious connotations to that too, right? Like Mary and all of that. But to me, the, at the end, when he's, you know, saying I'm, I've got a soul, but I'm not a soldier. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be able to really change who I am. I'm trying, but you got to help me out. Who's going to be there to kind of pick me up and, and be that for me. If it's not going to be you, I, I really liked, I really liked that aspect because most of the songs previous to this have, are, are very, very different. <laughs> and, mm -hmm, sure. and I, this I felt like was like the down, the most downtrodden. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a song written in response to the first four tracks of, right, of the album right. in a way, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that is where our uh, album is going to take a break to uh, flip it over here. So uh, let's do that, Michaela. We just stumbled out of the club. Let's make up a Red Apple Sunrise and we'll uh, take a bit of an album break here. So uh, Hot Fuss, as I mentioned, is the debut album for The Killers uh, and one of the best debut albums of all time, according to Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, in 2013, Rolling Stone listed Hot Fuss as the 33rd greatest debut album of all time and it was the ninth uh in the uh, according to the readers of rolling stone so good job there this was nominated for best rock album uh which is which is really really amazing to form a band uh basically in 2002 and then have it nominated for uh best rock album uh grammy uh two years later that's that's incredible to me uh, i did lose to green day's american idiot uh also a good album uh this one certified three times platinum and it made it up to number one on the british charts as we mentioned big in the uk number seven in the u.s billboard charts um and uh one of the things i wanted to talk about here in our uh, album break so uh cassio one of our uh patrons over on patreon patreon.com slash drink the movies uh she sent me a an article to this rolling stone uh interview uh, that Brandon Flowers had done. Um, and one of the things it talks about in the interview is that Mr. Brightside is the song, and we mentioned it, um, it just keeps getting like bigger and bigger, right? Mr. Brightside is bigger now than it was when it came out. And it was it was big then. Um, and, you know, uh, Brandon Flowers said, you know, that's something that you dream of when you start a band, right, is to have this big, uh, you know, number one hit that just keeps going, but he doesn't want it to, you know, kind of eclipse the other things that the band is doing. Um, and the band, uh, The Killers Now, have seven albums out, have seven Grammy nominations, so there's been a lot of really good stuff, you know, past Hot Fuss here, this this debut. Um, but I wanted to to phrase this to you um, in this way, Michaela. Mr. Brightside has all of the makings. It feels so much. Anytime I ever hear it, it feels like that that very um, 
you know, stereotypical one hit wonder kind of a song, but that's not the case here. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. I, I have to agree with you. Uh, and I think I remember hearing bright side before somebody told me, and I thought we're never going to hear from these people again. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, when I thought they were English and I recognize now I was wrong, but I was like, that's the way it is with so many bands that do really well in Europe. They come over, they do like one thing here that we love, um, like the uh, uh, 500 miles guys, right? Mm. Like everybody loves that song, but, and I've, and they've done other stuff. We don't know about it unless we like research it. Right. Um, The, the radios like totally forgot about who they are, but that's not what happened here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, yeah, there's, there's something about it that is, like I said, it's, it's very kind of one hit wonderish, but it's, it takes place in this album that is, that is full of songs that you could probably say the same about. And then going on to their, you know, next album, Sam's Town, which is an album that I love, you know, almost as much or, um, more than, than this album. And, you know, kind of, kind of carrying on, um, they keep kind of reinventing themselves. Uh, Sam's Town is an album that sounds far different uh, than this one. So it, it got a lot of kind of flack for that. But it was, uh, I think, listed as like the number one most underrated uh, album of the decade or something like that. So I, the Killers have done a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, something apparently else amazing that they do is perform live. I have never had the chance to see the Killers live. It's something that I would I would like to do um, next time they're, you know, closest to town. But Michaela, do you have any other kind of memories of the Killers? You mentioned you mentioned your old pool hall days, you know, hustling people, uh, I guess, is what you're doing there. I don't know for sure. Um, but <laughs> but but what about the killers? Do they stand out at all, like in in terms of your your college memories or your lasting memories as we've kind of grown with this band, literally? Yeah, I mean, I just I think that they are just representative to me of that time in my life where I was trying to figure a lot of things out, right? I mean, it was not, I wouldn't say it was formative because I was in my early twenties, but maybe maybe so, maybe it was, um, I, I maybe had still a lot of growing up to do, but I had the idea of, of this kind of homecoming and growing, growing up, I mean, I feel like this album is definitely more tr- transformational than uh, it was supposed to be. I think that they were, and the fact that they they were three years previous to making this album, they were just kind of playing at open mic nights is astonishing because some of these songs really have created a spot within my memory that's a, that's 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 core to my life. And so I would think that this would have been a third or fourth album kind of thing uh, because they gel so well. The sound is really great. Um, it's very iconic. I mean, nobody, nobody sounds like them. And Mm. like I said, I do remember going to a lot of like, like clubs where they would have an opening band and they would try to sing these songs and it would be a disaster because they couldn't get the sound right. Right. Um, I do remember that. I mean, there was a guy who's literally in with a, with a megaphone screaming into a microphone and he, and, and he's got this fake English accent because they, everybody's telling you, I really thought they were English because it was, they, <laughs> and they have the, just the cadence of the way breaking my back. And it's, it just didn't sound right. People were like, yeah, you're not the killers. <laughs> you, you can't do it. You need that, uh, that special uh, vocal modulation they're using on the album. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to recreate. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's astounding uh, that this was the first album. It, 
came so quickly. And uh, yeah, it was definitely not, um, it kind of, it had all the makings of being a flash in the pan, but definitely not. So uh, glad to have the killers around and uh, maybe we'll talk about some more killer stuff uh, some other time. But for now, Michaela, let's get back to Hot Fuss here. So track number six, Andy, you're a star. Um, I really like this song. It has kind of this fuzzy uh, guitar riff. It's It's very slow and kind of more, like bluesy feeling um there's a lot of uh symbolism kind of in here right of like high school um and who is the sandy person uh i looked at a lot of things online and people said that uh the sandy person was a friend it was a tormentor it was a bully character but i've always uh looked at andy as being almost kind of this crush sort of a figure this high school <laughs> crush um uh, especially you know because the lyrics right here right um it talks about you know leaving your legacy and gold and the plaques that line the hall right like andy was this uh uh, you know, kind of, kind of high school uh, sports star or some, some sort of star. Um, and that's the case here, right? Andy, you're a star in nobody's eyes, but mine that has all the makings of some sort of, some sort of crush, or, uh, you're looking at the, from the perspective of some sort of like wallflower kind of a, kind of a character. Um, and yeah. I, I really like it. I've always really liked, uh, Andy, you're a star. It's, it's slowed down. It's like I said, more bluesy, uh, kind of feeling, I think, but it's a good one. Uh, Andy, uh, who is, who's Andy to you, Michaela? <laughs> I think Andy is uh, definitely a football star that this was written about. I think that I think it's kind of a forbidden love. Um, I think it's an unrequited for sure. I mean, when the lyrics are uh, on the match with the boys, you think you're alone with the pain that you drain from love in a car with a girl. Promise me she's not your world because Andy, you're a star like ah. I definitely think this is a love lot long, like long mm -hmm. love, long lost, unrequited love. Um, I ha I happen to think that it's uh, maybe uh, a boy who is writing this about another boy. Um, that's just where my head goes when I thought about this because uh, the shut up, shut up, like they're they're probably friends and they're clowning around. Uh, maybe they're not both on the football team together, but that that's what the imagery was for me. Um, mm -hmm. It starts off to me feeling like a, like a fight. And then it ends up being like this totally sad, like you're, you're a star. Nobody, nobody sees what you are, but me. And, and I do love that idea, right. Where when you first fall in love with someone, or especially if it's unrequited love, like, you know, I don't know if this person is ever going to tell Andy, but being like, look, I, you are the most incredible person and no one else knows it. Like no one sees you the way I do. Mm -hmm. And yep. that part is, is both like sad and beautiful at the same time. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I am inclined to agree with you because there's a lot of uh, kind of themes of, uh, uh, androgynous uh, sort of themes within the album. So um, I'm inclined to agree with you there on that one. Uh, let's get into track number seven here, Michaela, on top. Um, I really like... Um this, it's more of like a straightforward uh, rock song in the way that it sounds. It's less, less kind of synthesizer-y. Um, so I, I like the the song composition here. Um, but I, I really like... Um, the refrain here in this one, you know, and I smile because I'm fine. Uh, that's pretty great. There's a guitar solo here in the song. Not a lot of guitar soloing going off in this album. Um, so I like that. And then uh, kind of after the guitar solo, you just get this like electronic swell uh, that gets you back in where it repeats the the refrain uh, here. Um, and yeah, this one, this one's really good on top. It's, it's um, 
it's kind of the story of like dealing with addiction and dealing with your friends uh kind of within uh this addictive uh kind of personality uh traits and uh yeah on top i i really like the way that this one sounds this very much had like a like a techno club feel to me at the very beginning that beat uh i immediately wanted to dance to it i thought that this song i couldn't tell if they were like doing drugs. I couldn't tell if they were dancing or if they were having like a real big night of passion where they both really like each other and they're like, we're on top of the world. Isn't this fun? Um, I couldn't, I couldn't decide because I think the lyrics lend itself to all three of those things. Um, It's very, yeah. I I wrote, is it dancing? Is it drugs? Is it sex? I don't know. (laughs) Might've been all of them. I don't know. It could have been all. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, talking about this, uh, the story here, uh, kind of, kind of late night, you get that, uh, that line, right. Uh, the day is breaking. We're still here. Your body's shaking. It's clear. Uh, you really need it. So let go and let me feed it. But you know, um, yeah, it could be, it could be any number of things, uh, right. Uh, for sure. So, uh, what are we talking about on, on top? I don't know for sure, but it's a good song. Uh, track number eight, uh, here in the United States, uh, you get change your mind. If you're in the UK, you get glamorous indie rock and roll, uh, Fun notes uh, on the vinyl version I have. Uh, it's actually glamorous uh, indie rock and roll. Uh, but Michaela, let's talk about Change Your Mind. Um, I'm assuming that's what you heard uh, listening to this on your uh, favorite internet device here. Um, I like this one. It's got kind of this minimal vocal range. Um, and then like in the second uh, verse, he just takes like this vocal leap just kind of out of nowhere. It sounds really cool. I really like that one. Um, I, I like Change Your Mind. It's kind of a sad song, but it's kind of a hopeful song at the same time. Um, and I think um, it's, it's kind of a nice little look inside the mindset of someone who is falling in or out of love uh kind of for that first time uh and that's what change your mind is is to me it's a neat little song here um we'll talk about glamorous indie rock and roll here in a second but uh change your mind michaela yeah i this song kind of was an answer to me about with smile like you mean it i felt like there were a couple songs that went together in pairs for me and this is one of them that pairs i feel like with smile like you mean it because for me, it was smile like you mean it could also have been as a way where you, you've come back home and the girl that you once were with or the person that you once were with has now moved on. And this one is kind of the same uh, where then you have that conversation and like, are you happy? If you're not happy, can I change your mind? Is there still hope for us or mm-hmm, is sure. it all gone? And, um, you know, why aren't you shaking? Step back in time, graciously taking, oh, you're too kind. I really thought that this was um, kind of a conversation with someone that you knew in the past, that you had a lot of love for in the past. And um, and maybe you're not even talking about a relationship you're getting into. Maybe this is about like drug addiction because um, the shaking mm-hmm. part, <laughs> it's like, eh, <laughs> more, I don't know. More, Are more we... shaking, that's right. Yeah, yeah back, there's, there's a lot more shaking, but maybe after the club, Right. Which is, again, this thing could be a total stream of consciousness, right? Where right. if mm-hmm. uh, and may and maybe this is the conversation that he has with Jenny. I don't know. Yeah. Could be where could be. he's like, you know, we did this and we've had this night. And, uh, you know, do you do you want to continue? Do you want to make this? See- I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, I really I really like this song. And it kind of it kind of caps off um, a lot of these songs. Right. It is it's so um 
it, it kind of paints this picture, but the picture is like real ambiguous. It's like you're looking through like a like a smudged lens at what's happening. It could be anything, right? Um, so maybe maybe it's talking about uh, a girl that you just met at the club that night. Maybe it is like a childhood best friend that you've always wanted something more out of. Maybe it's an ex. Uh, it could be kind of anything here and change your mind. Uh, Michaela, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to glamorous indie rock and roll. I think it is on the digital version um, if you have here. So this would have been track number eight if you were living in the UK um, or you're listening with me uh, to the vinyl here. Um, I really like the song. Um, it is about as close to just a classic uh, rock and roll song as you're going to get on the album. Um, but maybe it's because I I grew up uh, listening to uh, Change Your Mind as the song here. Um, I don't think that glamorous indie rock and roll fits as well in the album um, as well as Change Your Mind does. Uh, maybe that's just me. Um, I do think that it's a really good song, but I think that I think Change Your Mind fits kind of tonally with the the way that the album is working better in my eyes, at least. But what did you think? Yeah, I so for me, it was glamorous indie rock and roll was put at the end of the <laughs> album. Sure. And I thought that that was kind of strange. I, I do think that Change Your Mind fits better. Um, for me, this was just about like, again, these t early 20s, right? Because that's when I started listening to this band, um, thinking about, hey, wouldn't it be great if we started a band? Wouldn't it be great if we uh, did this thing and we would do the things that bands do? Um, you know, first of all, I wrote down in my notes, what is indie rock and roll? Like, what is the primal definition to that, right? And mm -hmm. but the ins and outs of like what that would feel like, how bands kind of take on a life of their own over time. So you're 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 friendly, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not how bands start. They're like, hey, I need somebody with this talent and I don't care about you at all. But the the connections mm. that you build on stage and then going over time and if you travel together, what that's like and all of those things. Um, I thought that fit much better at the end of the album than in the middle of it. Cause in the middle of it, I was still in this stream of consciousness where I'm like, where is, where's Jenny? And are we going to talk about what he did with her, <laughs> in the, you know, from right. the very beginning to the end, right. All of these kind of uh, relationship songs that are kind of in the middle. I, it feels weird that this would be in the middle of that, but. You yeah, know, definitely. Somebody, definitely. Somebody made that Absolutely. Yeah. There, there were choices made um, and we weren't the ones making those choices. So, so that is it. Track eight, uh, track number nine, believe me, Natalie, I think uh, kind of tonally after um, either change your mind or glamorous indie rock and roll. Um, this gets us back kind of this grittier uh, synthesized uh, kind of sound that we've got going on here. Um, this song to me is kind of like part intervention, uh, part, a call for help um, and speaking to Natalie or for Natalie or from Natalie. Um, I like this. Uh, I think Brandon flowers is kind of the most vulnerable like vocally in this song um really kind of kind of stretching the limits of what he can do uh singing wise and i think that that makes the song that much more effective um like i said as kind of this tale of uh intervention and uh longing and and hoping hoping for the best but uh you know kind of kind of deep down in your heart you know that it's probably uh, not going to go the best yeah for me this this totally reminded me of like a, uh going home when you've been away for a while, right? And your parents have these expectations of you. Um, like, I, I think it even makes reference to your mom says you never come visit anymore. And why are you leaving immediately? You just got here. <laughs> and mm. having that, uh, knowing a little bit more about um, what, what this might have meant to the writer of the song um, from a religious perspective, like, I, I don't know, for me, I think that 
it's very ethereal, but to it, it like, it's also incredibly dark where you go home and home is not what you thought of it as either good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a, like the thing, the good things you remember aren't quite the same. The bad things you remember aren't quite the same, but like that, this is your, every time you go home, you realize that I better make it where I'm at. Cause I can't come back to this. Yeah. I can't. Right. Like th- this is mm-hmm. my last chance. <laughs> and I imagine when you're trying to make it uh, in, you know, as an artist, that can be the pressure uh, you put on yourself. Cause if you come back, you're going to have to live under these new rules and you're going to have to fit back into this family in a different way. And it's going to be good or bad. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all of those thoughts really set in with me with this song. Yeah, for sure. And I really like the song. It's, it's kind of like this weird, like amalgamation because the, the song is, is pretty upbeat. It has like the synthesizers come in and they're almost like, like horn, like sounds like trumpets it's almost like triumphant sounding in a way this reminds me a lot um i'd mentioned uh bowie before but this one definitely feels kind of like a david bowie song where it's kind of like it's kind of like upbeat and and happy and uh, kind of makes you want to dance but like the lyrics are real <laughs> real dark and um introspective and things so i definitely get a lot of those vibes here from believe me natalie uh we're getting to our uh second part of the murder trilogy this is uh part number two i uh, kind of go backwards here so it starts with the third part and we get into part number two uh the midnight show this is about uh the event itself um it's weird like listening to this album you know over the last 20 years i never really associated this song with murder until i'd really uh kind of kind of learned of this trilogy and listened to it uh for that sense so like for uh, you know researching the pod i always kind of listened to midnight show and i kind of uh, thought of it being more of like a story of like this accidental overdose, um, which I guess is kind of, uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, it could be, you know, construed, construed as that, you know, there's some more, more imagery of uh, some choking and things uh, going on here um, in the song, if you're really digging for it. Um, I really like the song Midnight Show. I, I really like all the songs um, from the murder trilogy. I don't know what that says about me, but I really like how kind of like fast and driving the song uh, is here. Like literally there are the, the lyrics in the song, uh, drive faster, boy. Uh, because the song is really just chugging along. Um, and I like how the vocals kind of drop in and out of the tempo of the song. Uh, it sounds very vocally appealing to me in that way. So uh, what do you think here? Part two of the uh, murder trilogy, Michaela. So the first time I heard this song, I totally thought uh, it was about um, this forbidden. Um, forbidden something. <laughs> forbidden love or forbidden, <laughs> forbidden forbidden night of passion can i say that i'm trying to be as uh, mm-hmm. politically okay, okay. Yeah, correct sure. as possible um so so for me when they're like drive faster like they both kind of know it, and it starts with you know it's wrong because he's like i'm gonna take you on a midnight show tonight if you can keep a secret i got a blanket in my back seat <laughs> on mm-hmm. but sure. on my mind right so he's been thinking about this for a while in my mind, it was like, she's like, go, go drive faster. Yes, let's do this. Um, but um, now that I know that it's part of this murder trilogy, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that that did not go well for him, I don't think. I think that he's maybe telling himself to drive faster because he's really excited about what's going to take place. And it is maybe not consensual. Because of the whole, like, she turns her face to speak, but no one heard her cry. So maybe it's not this amazing moment that I, that I thought it was, even though it's, you know, an amazing bad moment. I don't know. Um, 
my this well, this idea that it's part of this murder trilogy now has really made me sad for this song because <laughs> I really like the way it sounds. Um, and I think the lyrics are great. Um, especially at the end when he's like, if you can keep a secret, I can keep a secret if you can keep a secret. Um, and then it falls in the, the very last song. It falls so beautifully where it's like this, this moment happens. It's really amazing. And then at the end of this song, there's like this uh, kind of letdown of, oh, I feel guilty now. Mm -hmm. Like all sure. the things, like if this was a consensual kind of moment that these people had and they couldn't, it was forbidden because they were in other relationships or something like that, that it was like, oh, well, well, we got to keep this secret. Now I got to live with this guilt. Now you got to live with this guilt. Like that's kind of how I took it. Um, but now I think, I think he killed her in the backseat of that car. And yeah, uh, that's what I think now. Darn it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. We'll uh, discuss further on uh, Drink the uh, True Crime uh, later, for sure. But yeah, it's it's the second part. It's a song that I, I really like. Um, I think that, I don't know, I don't, th I think that once you pair, um, you know, uh, Jenny was a friend of mine with this, obviously, it takes on a much different meaning. And, and you can uh, kind of draw your own conclusions about how uh, the story here of Midnight Show goes, because uh, like I said, this this album is very ambiguous and a lot of its storytelling, uh, which leaves a lot open to interpretation, which is really pretty neat and really uh, pretty sophisticated uh, for some songs coming straight out of the gates. So uh, that is Midnight Show. And then we're getting into the last final track here. Everything will be all right. Uh, track 11. It's almost six minutes long. Uh, this probably is my favorite song on the album. Um, it's very angsty. Uh, it's a very mournful send off to the characters we've met throughout the course of Hot Fuss. Um, I think that it's a very hopeful uh, sounding message, but it comes off to me. Uh, everything will be all right as like something that you tell yourself because you need to tell yourself that to get through whatever you've got uh, going going on in your life. And to me, um, everything will be all right is really kind of kind of a, a story or a tale of you know, kind of accepting the fact, coming to terms with the fact that the person you love is probably better off without you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, going back, right. Cause I, I felt that these two paired these two, the midnight show and everything will be all right, really paired well together because it was like, Hey, we did this one thing and I'm, we're never going to do that again. It's never going to happen again. Uh, and everything's going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I won't forget you, but I'm going to try and run away because mm -hmm. I, we can't like, once you, once you open that can of worms, you know, you've got a, you're, you're staring at the barrel of like betrayal and all of that. Right. So that's what I first thought. Now that we put this true crime hat on it though, it's like, oh man, he thinks everything's, he wants everything to be all right because he doesn't want to get caught. <laughs> D Detective McKayla is on the case. Yeah, now am. see, now well, maybe, we'll, well, maybe we'll talk about the, the murder trilogy here a little bit more. Like I said, on Patreon, we'll go through the other, the other, uh, the third aspect of it. I think um, to me and just the way that the album kind of plays out, everything will be all right. I think that uh, for me, the murder trilogy is, is kind of a fictional tale. Uh, it's something that is playing out um, within the, the singer songwriters head here um, as being like, I could totally see, um, me going out with this this girl she spurns me snapping and something real bad is going to happen um that's kind of the place i'm at, at in my life here um and i think that uh, that's really what the cap stone here of everything will be all right to me is right like you have to be like 
<laughs> this person is going to be way better off without me. I'm not in the right place for this person right now. Um, and I think that it's it's a really beautiful send off. It's it's really kind of like mournful, but like I said, kind of kind of like hopeful in in a very sad way um, at the end here. And I think that it ties um, Hot Fuss together really perfectly. Yeah, for sure. I. Um, I was surprised that for, uh, for me in the listening that I did in the, in the digital listening, that glamorous was after this, um, because I thought that this ended. It's the very out of place perfectly. after it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know where else I would have put the glamorous one. I definitely like it better at the ending than in the middle, but I thought yeah. it was kind of a, like a little lanyap <laughs> where it was like, we want to put this song somewhere. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised they wouldn't have put it in, slotted it in at, at eighth or ninth, and just moved everything else down for the digital version. Uh, so that way, the album still would have ended with everything will be all right. But uh, those are decisions that are way above our pay grade uh, here at Drink the Music for sure. Well, you just are we're uh, paid and booze to listen to these things, and that's that's right. what we did. That's what we did. So uh, that is the album Hot Fuss 2004, uh, The Killers. So uh, Michaela, we kind of gave kind of our our thoughts and you know remembrances of of hearing this for the first time. But um, I had not listened to the you know other than Mr. Brightside you hear like every day basically somewhere 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 someone is listening to Mr. Brightside uh, in your daily life. But I hadn't listened to the album um, as a whole for a long time, um, and I had the I was fortunate enough to be flying to Denver. So I actually got to, you know, put on headphones and just listen to it on the airplane, which is an activity that I really, really enjoy. Uh, I've got to be honest is listening through an album at uh, 30,000 feet. That is pretty great. Um, but listening back through this, it, it, it completely just sucked me in. And I don't even know if I necessarily like associated it with, like I said, this kind of this kind of like sticky cigarette filled you know, den of, you know, dancing and bars and, and rock and roll. But that is exactly uh, where I pictured this whole thing taking place in my head when I was listening to it. And it was great uh, to revisit the killer's hot fuss. Um, it was, I mean, I think that this told like a much broader story. Again, there's so many layers to this and it's weird because if you're not a fan of, the killers that's fine um but it's undeniable that they had this very profound impact um over the course of their few albums that they did in, in the mid 2000s um that had a had an impact on on people that were you know in their mid 20s just figuring figuring things out i like um thinking about them and what they would have what their you know what they were trying to do. And I don't, I think it had a much bigger impact than their intent was to be. I mean, mm. again, there's a reason why this is considered one of the best debut albums of, of, you know, it's in like the top 30 of like all of the musical compilations, right. Where there's yeah. the, for the first albums out. And um, I was really glad to revisit it in my adult real, real adulthood now that I'm old um, because it definitely feels different than just these kind of poppy synth kind of new modern take on English pop because it wasn't it's it's it was an English pop but it's so much <laughs> more than that you know <laughs> it fooled you for sure yeah there's it a did. there's a there's a saying in music that I like a lot um and it, it's weird because it almost doesn't apply here in this case but uh bands will say um 
you know, and everyone likes everyone likes the first album the best, right? And and that's because musicians will tell you that you have your whole life to write your first album, but you only have one year <laughs> to to make your second album, right? But that wasn't the case here for the Killers. I there were it was like eighteen months from the time that uh, these four gentlemen got together to the time that they had taken over the world as you know one of the biggest bands uh, around, um, and it's absolutely like staggering that way. And you look at it, like it. Brandon Flowers, so um, you know, side inspirations from you know U uh, two and and Bowie and uh, you know the Smiths and the Ramones and you know all that that kind of stuff and just you know kind of these larger than life characters, right? You think of like David Bowie, you think of Bono, you know they're they're larger than life and the Killers quickly ascended to that um, and it all started here uh, with Hot Fuss through uh, a few singles that were um, you know spectacular, which led to. Um, the album, which led to, you know, seven albums, seven Grammy uh, nominations there for the killers. So um, it's, it's a lot of good stuff. And like I said, it was really great to go back and revisit it. So uh, any parting thoughts uh, about the killers here before we uh, sign off of this one, Michaela? No, no. I mean, I think um, when, when, like, what was your favorite song of this, of this mix? Cause you, you really, listen to albums very differently than I think a lot of people because you like to kind of listen to the whole album in and of itself. I mean, do you feel like um, that would that did that change your mind? Think listening to it in its whole self versus the pieces that we've heard on radio. And what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, of the singles that came out, and I think there were five in total, um, of those my my favorite of the singles has always been uh smile like you mean it i like kind of that that simple kind of vocal range i i like kind of the the, the messaging and the symbolism and the the like visual aspects of the song and the way that that goes but um like i mentioned uh you know everything will be all right will be as my my favorite song on the album i really like it i really like it as the capstone uh piece here i like how kind of like mournful and sad sounding it is if if you know anything about my musical tastes i kind of i kind of really lean into uh songs that are uh, very depressing sounding and everything will be all right is depressing sounding even though um the the title would have you believe that it's kind of this this hopeful uh tale and and i always i always really like that so listening to it in the you know over the breadth of the album to me is interesting because it it a is that's like so viscerally um kind of like this this place that this album is taking place in right it's like like i imagine uh some dirty terrible uh, nightclub bar in las vegas and that's exactly what it sounds like to me kind of yeah. this you know this british you know kind of kind of dirty back alley in london sound that you're that you're getting uh here um and it's it's coming in and it just kind of washes over you and i really like that the way that the album is composed and creates that um and then listening back through it this time um i mentioned it a, a few times i just i i love how like it's telling the story but the story is is so vague that you're having to kind of connect the dots uh, within your own head and i like that uh, kind of stuff i like that storytelling uh, mechanism uh, quite a bit and you know movies that we might get to talk about uh, someday but i like it in my music as well yeah yeah for sure well for sure well that's that is the album hot fuss um it it's a it's 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 a hot mess in a good way i feel <laughs> it is like a like, it is a hot mess in a good way, but you know what's a hot mess in a good way too is the uh, blue sapphire martini. Michaela. Yes, uh, you found that one. That was a good one, and it, it pairs perfectly with this. So if you decide to make yourself up a blue sapphire martini or one of our 
red apple sunrise uh mocktail uh martinis there definitely take pictures of it we want to we want to see pictures of yours we want to get feedback on all that stuff we want to know uh when you found the killers if you love the killers um if you think mr brightside is overplayed um if you uh, have seen the killers in concert we want to know all that stuff so send it in uh, on to our social medias that's the best place to do it it's uh, at drink the movies on uh, instagram and threads and x it's uh, facebook.com slash drink the movies uh, you can go to our website drink that's where we have uh, pictures of our cocktails that we made uh, episode recaps recipes all that kind of stuff is on there so make sure you go check that out uh, if you want to go and vote for what album we're going to be covering next week you want to go over to patreon.com it's patreon.com slash drink the movies that's the best place to do that got a really great uh, community of people over there and uh, talking about music and movies and all the all the things we talk about all the things cocktail mostly cocktails we, we talk about cocktails mostly to be honest um so go check that out uh michaela uh, if they want to catch up on uh, what we've got coming for volume eight next week where can they do that you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify good pods anywhere where spotify podcasts are distributed and supported uh, whatever you're listening to right now i'm pretty sure has a subscribe button if you're liking what you're hearing here at drink the music drink the movies all of those things uh go ahead and hit that subscribe button and if you really like it tell a friend tell a friend uh via social media tell a friend by leaving a five-star review tell a friend on the phone tell somebody. <laughs> We're so excited uh, to be able to talk about music. Uh, when we started the Drink the Music uh, you know, idea, we did not think we would be doing this more than a couple of weeks. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, yeah, unfortunately, we, we are still doing it, but we are enjoying it. Um, and we really hope that you are too. <laughs> so if you are, let us know. We love the community that we're building. Um, and it really helps us get all the drink, the music stuff out there. Absolutely. So that is the killers hot fuss from 2004. Thank you for joining us. And we'll talk to everyone next time on drink, drink the music, the music. Cause I'm Mr. Brightside. Michaela is scrambling for lyrics to sing right now. <laughs> uh, just, there's, I, I don't know. There's so much. There's so much that was good. There was mm. a lot that was good. There was a lot that was good. Somebody told me that you had a boyfriend. I really thought that maybe they were insulting someone the first time. That they were like, mm. you had a boyfriend that looked like a girlfriend. Actually, what I really thought was that maybe they realized that they'd both dated a person that looked mm. the same. Okay. Okay. And that's Where'd how they go? knew each other. Yeah. That's a, maybe it's a slanderous from this British band. <laughs> oh my God. They're never going to let that down. <laughs> <laughs>